In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mark Danzi, and welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I don't know how you got here, but we're so glad that you did because we are um, coming up into the middle of a series we've been doing on the, the Master Plan of Evangelism by Dr. Robert Coleman, and it's really a an in-depth look at how Jesus discipled those 12, the eight principles that he used that, hey, we can use them today too. It's not um, it's not anything that's completely supernatural beyond us. It's a, it's a model, so to speak, that the master left us. And so he's the master, we're the apprentice. We get to learn by looking at the life of Jesus, uh, how to make disciples, because that is the Great Commission. That's what we've been, as Christians, called to do. And so I'm so glad that you're along for the ride today. Uh, whether you're on the treadmill or in traffic, uh, be careful, but listen. And maybe something that's said today really will encourage you, that's what we hope, uh, to live out the Great Commission as a lifestyle. And uh, the first section that we looked at, or actually the first step, if you study the life of Jesus, uh, when he called those 12 to him, was the selection process. So step one is selecting those. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, step two is associating, is is really doing life with uh, those disciples. And how is it that our lives and, and the, the folks that we've been called to uh, invest in spiritually, how can we do life with them in different different ways? Uh, we may never um, own a fishing company together or anything like that, uh, but there are all kinds of ways that we can uh, intersect our lives just so that we get to know each other in a better, deeper, more intimate way. The third step that we're looking at today, we're going to dive into, is this, uh, it's a concept called consecration. Now, I know that sounds like a big churchy word and all that stuff, but the word consecration really means dedicated to a sacred purpose. It's set apart. It's like when a building is consecrated for use, or church, so to speak, is consecrated. Uh, there's a prayer service, and there's everybody's there to, to realize that this building is going to be used for the worship of God. It's going to be used for the service of God. It's different. The building is consecrated. So what does it look like to consecrate yourself? What does it look like to consecrate a process or others? Well, that's what that's what we're talking about today. And, and consecration really is the centerpiece of the master-apprentice relationship. Uh, without this decision, this setting apart this determination to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples, without consecration, it's really not going to happen. Because another term for consecration really would be obedience. So there's the O word that we're all afraid of, right? Uh, But obedience, we hope to kind of demystify that as well today a little bit. Uh, What does it mean to be obedient to the teachings and the call of Christ on our life and the call to make disciples? So chances are, if you're here, you're already doing that in some way, or you've been exposed to it. Um, but I'm hoping today challenges us, really propels us forward into what God's calling us to do. So this consecration or this master-apprentice relationship is really about this. The master shows you what to do, and you commit to doing it again and again until you get it right. I mean, think about a master-apprentice relationship in, say, woodworking, Uh you know, nobody knows how to do woodworking right out of the gate. You'd need somebody that's experienced, work with them for a while, and then you give it a shot yourself, and you make mistakes. But all along the way, the master's teaching you and being patient with you and guiding you. 
until you get good at it. Well, that's what discipleship is about. It's about making the decision that I am going to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples, and then setting out on a course to do that and to commit to it again and again until you get it right. So the setting apart is is all in Scripture, and I want to share a couple Scriptures with us this morning. One, they're they're both very familiar, actually, Uh, but Matthew uh, 11, 28 through 30 is a very familiar Scripture, and let me read it to you here. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Seems like several times uh, recently I've heard people quote the message version of this, which is a version of the Bible that Eugene Peterson uh, wrote. Let me read it to you in his words, and then we'll go back through it and kind of see what does this have to do with disciple making. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 in the message says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Well, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. (laughs) First time I heard that scripture, I thought, wow, sign me up. You know, the whole promise of not being burned out and showing me how to recover my life and taking a rest and getting a front row seat at how Jesus... uh, did his life, and, and he's going to teach me how to do that. I mean, that is good stuff. So as we go back through this verse, looking at it in, the, in this concept of consecration, this setting apart, this commitment, think of it this way. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Discipleship is not meant to burn us out, all right? Don't think for a second that, oh, I've got to commit to this, and it's all about leadership, and I'm going to be exhausted. If if you're exhausted after making disciples, you're doing it wrong. You should be energized. You should be inspired. Uh, this, should be, this should propel you from group to group. It should be like fuel in your tank. Now, you need to take some seasons off. Don't get me wrong. But if your perception of discipleship is at the end of it, I'm going to be worn out and burned out, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Now, I know all of you out there have probably plowed with some oxen at one time in your life. (laughs) Uh, Not. I mean, nobody does that anymore, right? But the people he was speaking to understood it because here was the way it worked. The yoke is that thing. uh, It's that wooden thing that goes over the ox neck. And you you might have seen them on a painting from the Old West where the ox's uh, head goes through each one. Or you might have even seen it hanging on a cracker barrel wall somewhere or something. But, But the yoke was designed for a young oxen to be trained by an older oxen. So picture this. There's a stagecoach going across the Old West, and there's this older oxen. He knows what to do. He knows the commands. He knows when to stop, when to go. And his neck, so to speak, is tied to the neck of the older oxen or the younger oxen. Well, when the older oxen turns right, the younger oxen has no choice but to turn right. When the older oxen turns left, the younger oxen knows to do that. When the older oxen stops, the younger oxen learns. So the yoke was really meant to train and instruct, not to be to enslave them or or burden them. 
So Jesus uses this term, and who knows, there might have been even on the hillside when he's teaching this one day, they, they would have known exactly because, hey, look over there, there's some, some, some oxen. He says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, Jesus knows how to live. He knows how to change the world. He knows how to minister. All we have to do is saddle up with him. And he says, learn from me. We don't have to figure this out on our own. It's not found solely in books or uh, in some formal training class. I really believe that studying the life of Jesus, we can learn how to make disciples. He says, learn from me. Here's a question for you. What have you learned from Jesus about how to disciple others? Are you yoked to him? I mean, are you in relationship? Are you in a, a committed walk with him? And when he turns right, you turn right. And when he turns left, you turn left. I mean, this is so important for us or else we will go be like a young oxen who's never been trained and just starts taking people off course. He says, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. When you and I take on the yoke of Christ, when Christ trains us, the promise of that is that we'll find rest for our souls. Now, the opposite of rest, of course, is restless, right? And the world is restless. No doubt about it. But if you are walking in lockstep with Jesus, if you're listening to the voice of the Lord, if you're serving God, and if you've said yes to the Lord, my Bible says that rest will actually come from that. Now, it doesn't mean we we go take long naps. It means that we're no longer making the disciples ourselves. Jesus is making the disciples through us. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, I want that to encourage you today that making disciples is a burden, of course, but it's light. It's, it's, now, we don't know how to uh, naturally do this without looking at the life of Christ, but he's promised to train us if we will. Now, one of the things about this word gentle and humble in heart, I want you to see this, is one of my mentors taught me, he's a Greek scholar, and he taught me this a long time ago, never forgot it. He said, gentleness is the physical embodiment of wisdom. It blew me away when I heard that. Gentleness is the physical embodiment of wisdom. When someone is extremely wise, they are usually a gentle person. I mean, that's why we call them gentlemen, right? Uh, You never see somebody who's made a train wreck of their life and go, wow, they're so wise. (laughs) You never see somebody who's a a bull in a china shop in relationships and go, but they're so wise too. No. No, the physical embodiment of wisdom is gentleness. And this is what Jesus is telling us here. He is the wisest that ever lived. We give that title to Solomon, but he doesn't deserve it. Jesus was the wisest that ever lived. All the wisdom of, of God rests in him and in his teachings. And he's invited us as an apprentice would with a master, to learn from him. And if we learn from him, the promise is rest for our souls. Gosh, that sounds so good to me. When Jesus is discipling these 12, he expected his disciples to obey him. I mean, it's all over the scripture there. And when we say obey, it's not like he had a stick and he's saying, sit boy, you know, not that kind of obedience. It's just that if Jesus told us to do something, we did it. If Jesus told us, don't do that, we didn't. That's simple obedience. But in John 15, 17 through 19, this is the, the last night of his life. Uh, John actually 13 through pretty much the end of the book is, is just a night or two. Um, it's really fascinating, or at least John 15 through 19. And so he says on this walk with the disciples on the last evening of his life, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it'll be done. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This verse is another way to say, if you will be obedient to Christ and his teachings and stay connected to Christ, you will bear fruit and it will give glory to God. You'll be a disciple, no doubt. That's what it's saying. For you and I, this concept, this third step of consecration is really us finally making a commitment. It's putting a ring on it, right? It's saying to the Lord, I'm in. Chip Ingram does this great illustration about Texas Hold'em. He said the most exciting time in the Texas Hold'em poker game is when somebody takes all their chips, all the big stack of plastic chips on the green felt, and they slide every single one of them to the middle of the table and say, I'm all in. That's what the Lord's asking us to be, all in for him, all in for this commitment to be a disciple of Jesus but not just a disciple, a disciple who makes disciples. And we can learn to do this from him. John Brown um, was an abolitionist, of course, um, prior to the Civil War. In a, in a church in Virginia, a famous place there and a famous quote, in a church in Virginia, John Brown said, just prior to the Civil War, I hereby consecrate my life to the a- abolishment of slavery. And he did. It was a time in his life where he said, I'm drawing a line in the sand, I'm making this commitment, and he used the word, I consecrate my life. I wonder if you've ever consecrated your life to the Lord Jesus. I wonder if there's a day or a time or a place where you said, I am all in. I now consecrate my life to the disciple-making process of Jesus. I wonder if you've ever said that, or would you say that? But Jesus consecrated himself for the salvation of the world. He came, uh, and his purpose was, and he fulfilled it, was to Die, to live, to die, to rise again, to teach, to heal, to show us who God is like, and to open a way for us to have eternal life. And he consecrated himself to it, and he did it. He stuck to it. But you and I must consecrate our life to the same mission, but we do it one life at a time. And so in Luke 9.62, Jesus said, nobody puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Uh, excuse me, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of God. That When I first heard that, I thought, wow, that's kind of a harsh saying. But what he's saying is it's impossible to walk forward and look backwards for very long. You just can't do it. When you make the commitment, you move forward. And so Robert Coleman, in this masterpiece called The Master Plan of Evangelism, this is the book we've been uh, taking these eight principles from, he said this, Jesus did not have time nor the desire to scatter himself on those who wanted to make their own terms of discipleship. (laughs) I know when I first became a Christian, I was so naive. I made a deal with God. I remember that night, August 22nd, 1989, third floor of a hospital in Athens, Georgia, bottom of the barrel of my life, the lowest I had ever been. I had nothing to offer God except my prayer. But I made a deal with God, and I said, God, if you'll help me in this situation, I'll give you one year of my life. Isn't that funny? Here I am making a deal with God, and I have nothing. (laughs) And in his graciousness, he took the deal, and I've been living for God for almost 30 years now. But I found that I couldn't come to God on my terms. I had to come to God on his terms. I also found that I couldn't do ministry my way. I had to learn how to do ministry God's way. And it applies to disciple-making. Sure, I could read a thousand books on this and come up with my own way, but why would I do that? If the master has already shown us, why wouldn't I follow in his footsteps? So to be obedient is really what consecration is all about. And to obey is to learn. That's why I think obedience is so important. 
It's not something that restricts us. It's something that opens us up. When we follow the Lord and are obedient to the teachings of Christ, we learn and we grow. And so this word obey in the Greek, and a lot of times in the New Testament, the word there is the word tereo. And the word tereo means to guard or pay special attention to. You know, when I hear the word obey, I think of like a dog trainer with a dog, sit, stand, walk, whatever, you know. But that's not the word obey that's being used in the New Testament. The word obey here is to guard or pay special attention to, to guard closely. And so in the Great Commission, when he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, he's saying, teach them to guard carefully and pay special attention to everything I've commanded. Well, if you are an apprentice of Jesus, and I hope you are, then you're going to watch the master, listen to the master, and learn from the master. But the only way you're going to do that is being obedient to the master. That's consecration. You know, to be a good leader, we've got to learn to be a good follower. Nobody starts out as a great leader who didn't first learn how to follow. And we see that in the life of Moses and Joshua. I mean, in the Old Testament there, if you go back and you really look at it, what happens is Moses is leading these millions of of people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea and into the, the Sinai Peninsula, into the desert, the wilderness. And they take about two years, you know. It was hard for me to get my wife and four kids on vacation. I can't imagine (laughs) leading millions of people into the wilderness. And so two years into this thing, they get to this place called Kadesh Barnea. And why that's significant is that this is where they could have gone into the promised land. They send the the 12 spies in. They come back. Ten of the spies had no faith and said, man, we can't take those people. They're like giants over there. They will kill us. Joshua and Caleb said, true, but God said we could, so we should. Well, Moses listens to the 10, takes a vote, doesn't listen to the two, and for the next 38 years, now think about this, they could have gone into the promised land in two, but but because of a lack of faith in the spies, and of course at that time in Moses listening to them, they wander in the wilderness for another 38 years, 38 years. And there was a man there by the name of Joshua who was still Moses' right-hand man, And what we don't see is Joshua walking around for 38 years going, I told you, Moses, I told you this was a bad idea. I told you you should have listened to me. I told you 37 years ago we should have gone in. But no, no, we don't see that. We see Joshua, even though he was right, being obedient to Moses' leadership for another 38 years. Then what happens? Well, we know Moses dies, and guess who's appointed leader of Israel? Joshua. And he takes the people into the promised land. What we learn from that is that no one can be a great leader until they first learn how to be a great follower. But maybe that's where you're at in your life right now. Maybe you need to really learn how to follow someone who is a master disciple maker, apprentice under them for a while, so that you can learn. Now, they need to be doing it Jesus' way, but that you can learn yourself then how to, uh, to be a great leader. But you can't be a great leader until you first become a great follower. And both of those require consecration, setting yourself apart to say, I'm going to follow this man of God until I learn how to make disciples, or now I'm going to lead these people of God as a disciple maker. So start like Jesus. Start like he did by getting with a few committed believers and instilling in them the meaning of obedience to Jesus. That's why we send this podcast out every week is to encourage you to live the Great Commission as a lifestyle. And so that's what 419 is all about. We want to help you, encourage you, coach you on living out the Great Commission. So go to our website, 
419disciplemakers.org. Lots of resources there for you. Invite a friend to listen into this podcast and then get together and talk about it, uh, argue about it, whatever you want to do. Uh, and let us know what is it that's being helpful for you here, because that's, that's what we want to do. We know that nothing that we're teaching here is perfect, but we also think that it's all very helpful. And that's our goal. So next time, we're going to be talking about the fourth step of disciple making, which is impartation, uh, another big word that just really means uh, that the work of the Holy Spirit is within uh, in us, that the creator of the universe lives in our body and is desiring to help us live out obedience to Christ. It's really what it's all about. Hey, I wish you, I hope you have a great day today, and thanks for taking the time and listening. God bless. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.